Welcome to the podcast, a monthly podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. Your partner in strategic relationships and business development. We are your hosts, Aubrey Darden and TJ Dennis. Today, we're joined by Tom McNakin, CEO of Profitable Ideas Exchange. Before joining Pi, Tom was a co founder and managing director with Orchard Holdings Group, a private equity firm based in Cincinnati, Ohio, as well as serving as an operating affiliate at McCown, Duluth, and TSG Consumer, two consumer-focused buyout groups in San Francisco. Prior to working in private equity, he was the chief operating officer of Great Harvest Bread Company, a multi-unit operator of bread stores based in Dillon, Montana. Tom is the author of Never Say Sell, a Silver Axiom award-winning guide on how recurring revenue is driven at expert firms, the book How Clients Buy, a guide to business development for professional services firms, and Bread and Butter, a book that describes his work at Great Harvest and how he and his team created a nationally recognized corporate learning community and culture of best practices. Tom is a graduate of Oberlin College, completed executive education at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, and is a Goldman Sachs scholar. He serves as the chair of MoFi, a nonprofit bank serving Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, and is active in his church and Big Sky Return Peace Corps volunteers. Tom regularly speaks before professional services firms and can be reached at tmcmakin at profitableideas.com. Tom, let's start at the top. Not a lot of people know who Pi is or what we do. So can you tell us what the heck Pi is and how does this team of 90 plus people help professional services firms do better at professional services? Oh, it's such a great question, TJ. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, Pi is one of these 20-year overnight successes. It was formed in 2001 by a fellow named Harry Wallace, who used to run business development inside of the accounting firm, Arthur Anderson, and fortuitously uh, spun out to, to go on his own just before Enron did that firm in. Um, and he was obsessed with this question of how do you build a bridge from experts in expert services firms, professional services firms, to the people that they can most help. It's not obvious, right? Uh, you, uh, you sell uh, expertise based on reputation or relationships or referral. So putting a billboard on the side of the highway that says, Tom is the cheapest lawyer in all of New York City is, is not really that effective. Um, and so what Pi is, is a pretty effective way for experts to surround themselves with likely um, buyers and engage with them in a substantive way. Uh, you know, it used to be our parents or our parents' parents, if they had a tax firm in a town like Boise, Idaho, um, they would join their church or synagogue, they'd be a member of the country club, they'd be a member of Rotary or Kiwanis, and they would meet other business people in those forums, and they could... Uh, they could in that way build trust with and engage with and ultimately scope work with the people they most wanna serve in the community. But what we're seeing these days is that uh, expertise is going global and is getting a lot, uh, a lot sort of narrower at the same time. So I might be um, an expert at uh, tax policy associated with 
pension funds around the globe and just happened to be located in Austin, Texas. Joining my church or synagogue there or going to the Kiwanis Club is not going to get me a new pension fund client in Singapore or Melbourne, Australia. So what we do, this is not rocket science, is we go out and we invite um, an expert's uh, likely buyers to something that they want to be part of, which is a peer group, a chance not to be lectured at by an expert in a kind of webinar format, but rather a chance to just sort of talk with fellow travelers, people with whom that have the same responsibilities that they do and, and benchmark what they're doing against them. And we position our clients, the professional service practice lead, whether it be in tax or marketing or law or engineering or IT or strategy, we position them as the host of the group um, and, uh, and, and, and create a forum in which they can kind of mix it up with the people um, that they're interested in co-inventing the future with. Yeah, I love that, Tom. As you mentioned, you know, expertise is going global. And, and as we've seen over the past few years, specifically with COVID, um, that has become even more the case. And in conjunction with that, Pi has also grown exponentially over the last couple of years, I think, um, you know, because you said a 20 year overnight success, right? But also because of, of us all going online. So kind of rewinding to, to when you first joined Pi, what, what brought you here? And, and what did it look like when you first joined the team? It's so much different than, than what it is now. Yeah, that, that biography that TJ read would make my mother uh, proud and would make my wife blush. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, I, for many years, she and I, my wife and I lived in Dillon, Montana, a little town, and we helped build bread stores around the country in, in this uh, franchise headquarters called Great Harvest Bread Company. We love living in Montana, and uh, our kids went to elementary school there, um, and uh, then uh, we sold that company, um, and I went to work for uh, a pair of private equity firms in San Francisco. And when we did that, we moved up to Bozeman, Montana, and then I flew a lot. And basically my job, um, lest it sound sort of mysterious, was to go find investments for these people. Um, and so that, that had me flying around the country a lot. And then uh, in the second half of that decade, I, um, I, I started a an independent effort with a partner called Orchard Holdings in which we made some investments that we, we found. But I got kind of sick of flying around uh, because those were the days when uh, in-person was king. And so I just lived on, when, they, when you get platinum status with Delta, they should just write you a little note that says, hey, Tom, you fly too much. Um, and uh, so, you know, I had kids in high school and I was like, enough of this noise. And I was looking for a company to buy and bring to Bozeman, Montana, because I think this is a great place to do business. And uh, there's a little bit of an arbitrage between what it takes to live uh, on in Bozeman and what it takes to live on in New York. And so my thesis was you could sort of have domestic outsourcing, business services companies that could help big companies back east um, from a geographically remote area. Of course, all of that seems merely obvious now, right? Uh, that's happening to every company in the, in the country right now. But at the time, it seemed like a sort of investable thesis. And as it turns out, the founder of Pi, and, and Pi was located in Bozeman, invited me uh, to a round table and we got to know each other. And I came and saw the company and I'm like, wow, the company I wanna buy is right here in Bozeman. 
Um, and so uh, anyway, it, uh, it, it does go to the power of reaching out. Like Harry Wallace didn't know me from Adam, but he'd read my book about Great Harvest. He knew about the Great Harvest example. He knew about my private equity background. And he's like, I'm gonna reach out to this guy and make friends with him. And uh, proactivity, I'll tell you what, that's what makes the world. That's terrific, Tom. Thank you. In, uh, in all of your time leading Pi, you've had uh, a pretty long list of accomplishments. What would you say at this point in time is maybe your proudest accomplishment of all the things that you've been able to, uh, to do here in this organization? I think the thing I'm most proud of is that we have a kind of uh, line out the door for talent or new people. So when mm -hmm. I first came to Pi, um, you know, at best it had a kind of uh, raggedy startup reputation, and it might have even had a negative reputation in town as being a little bit of a maybe a call center place or people just didn't know what it was. It's so hard when you have a name like that pie that suggests dessert after Thanksgiving. And, uh, and then you're like, but actually what we do is we help people in New York city connect with people in Sao Paulo, like uh, Brazil. Um, and uh, we do it virtually. Anyway, my mother never knew what we did. She thought we laundered money. It's this, it's an abstract sort of thing. And so I think the thing I'm most proud of is that over the last 10 or 11 years, we've developed a reputation in, in, in the Montana area. And, and I think increasingly in Denver and Seattle as a preferred place to work. And uh, that's a great thing when you have a line out the door of people that want to work because um, suddenly you're able to pick the best of the litter and, uh, and then that, of course, has a kind of self-fulfilling nature to it. If the people that you choose are high quality, high octane, generous, kind, uh, self-motivated, uh, respectful people, then other people on the outside look at it and go, wow, I want to go there too. Um, and it makes your job a lot easier. I always said, if you just hire really good people, people that are smarter than you and more talented than you, then the rest of it's easy, right? A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, and speaking as, you know, a couple of employees of Pi, um, the, the amount of time and effort that you put into hiring good people shows um, and, and it makes for a really fun, exciting and supportive culture here at Pi. So we're very grateful for that, too. Yeah. Um, you know, you've you've been here for for quite a few years now, and, and it seems like Pi is on a fast track, it's continuing to grow. So looking ahead, what what is your vision for Pi and how how do you think Pi will continue to grow and connect powerful minds across the world? Yeah, that's a great question, Aubrey. You know, I think there will always be people that are smart, that have domain expertise, that have worked as the chief marketing officer for, um, you know, a, a motorcycle chain company and have deep expertise in that and, uh, and are able to advise other motorcycle chain companies when they retire. There'll always be people like that and there'll be collections of people like that and we'll call those consulting agencies or professional services firms. And there'll always be problems in this world. We seem as a species to be able to, species to, be able to create a long list of never-ending uh, problems that need smart minds to apply their best thinking to them. And, uh, and there'll always be a gap between uh, the people that 
are smart and the people that need help. It's an inefficient market. There are a lot of people in the world and the person that is the exact right person for me to call tomorrow and engage with to solve the problem that I'm feeling today, that's never obvious to know who that is, right? It, it really truly could be somebody in Topeka, Kansas that I've never met before and that none of my friends have met before. And so that's why I say it's sort of an inefficient knowledge uh, uh, network. Uh, but I think that, you know, we're going to see technology um, continue to sort of modify and shape that the, the shape of that general problem, which is connecting people with experience with people with need, um, whether there's an, a formal marketplace like oh, the old guru.com that uh, is somewhat more effective, we'll see whether or not the way in which we connect uh, changes over time, and it seems like it surely will, um, then that will affect how we introduce people uh, to each other. I can see one day we'll all be wearing like Oculus glasses or standing in a sort of holographic room, or I don't know, there'll be some way in which uh, the way in which we connect over distance will will change and hopefully be, be better. But that fundamental need to help people who have domain expertise make new friends in the marketplace, people that they don't now know, but where their experience and, and expertise can um, help drive value for those potential clients. That seems like it's going to persist on in the future. So you say, what's our vision? Our vision is to build a great little company here in Bozeman, Montana, that puts food on our table and allows us to go hiking in the afternoon. Um, but at the same time, has a kind of global presence and a global role in the in the global marketplace. And and uh, that seems like fun. We'll see our, I think we continue to sort of march across expert service verticals. For example, we we're quite strong in IT integration, think like Accenture or an IBM. We're fairly strong in the consulting world and in the financial services world. But uh, we're only getting started in the world of law and the world of engineering and the world of marketing. So that gets exciting. Um, and then you there's this, there's this really big thought I think that we all have, which is how can we export this expertise that we've developed over 20 years into the world of doing good? Um, how can we connect smart people with some of the social problems that we experience all across the globe and be part of making uh, change there. And I, it's one of our top priorities this next year is to dig into that intellectual problem. There's the, the dynamics are different, right? Because you don't have money exchanging hands. Um, and so it needs a sort of different business model, but still the problem is the same. You have people that are quite smart at something and you have challenges that exist somewhere else and the two don't know each other and they need to uh, someone to help systematically introduce them. And if we could be part of that uh, going forward, it would be terribly exciting. Definitely exciting. Um, and you mentioned so many interesting things here, you know, the verticals we don't discuss, Oculus goggles, something I hadn't even considered, but I mean, <laughs> think, about, think about the next evolution of getting together when you can do it virtually from your couch and be able to have those conversations with anyone in the world simultaneously. It's a very exciting, um, very exciting opportunities. So I guess okay, what I'm looking forward to here yeah. is uh, is the virtual experience where I can be in my uh, sweats at home, but it dresses me and makes me look really professional. Sure, uh, that would be even a, a bigger step forward. The team's professional mode or something like that. Uh -huh. yeah, 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 that makes a lot of sense. The metaverse just got announced in the last month, so like maybe the progression towards that is sooner than we all think it will be. 
Um, so I guess the very last question that we want to ask is, and without giving away all of your secrets, uh, what is your pie in the sky opportunity that you think exists that you're hoping to devote energy to in the future? Uh, here at Pi? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I sort of made reference to the um, having sort of systematic social impact. So I guess just to dig into that, yeah. um, what, you know, somebody once said to me, uh, what would you pay? to get a million dollar customer? Well, you would pay a lot if you could be absolutely sure that you could get the million dollar customer, more than a dollar, maybe more than five, maybe more than a hundred, if you were absolutely sure. It's the question of like the risk. Uh, if I pay a hundred thousand dollars, but I only have a 30% chance of getting the million dollar client, it, it colors our kind of return on investment perspective. Well, the same thing happens in the world of social change, where what would you pay uh, to uh, turn around uh, the school system in New York City and raise reading scores by whatever the measure is, 100 points over the course of two years? You probably pay a lot, but we've certainly tried an awful lot of things in big cities to do that and in rural communities and seeing that promise not be realized. And so it's a, it's a fun exercise to ask yourself, how do you deconstruct, deconstruct the, the, the solving of a problem where you, where you increase the likelihood that you're actually going to make an impact, the impact that you promise? Um, and it seems like it has something to do with convening the right people at the table and going through a sort of process that um, causes those smart people from wherever they are in the world to work with the people whose job it is to run the institution of education in New York City and then to co-create something. You know, when we say expertise, we oftentimes think, oh, there's somebody in London uh, that has expertise in in education and reading scores, and they'll just come to New York and tell the New York people what to do. But that's not really the way the world works. The person in London has got long experience in, in sort of boosting reading scores, but the person in New York has got long experience in the New York City school system and how that works, and they're insiders. And together, they're able to sort of draft an agenda to go forward. Um, to be part of that um, and to, uh, to dig into thorny, uh, uh, issues that, that confront all of us. Um, and again, to sort of reverse engineer, how do you make progress in that context? That seems really interesting uh, to all of us here at Pi. And I think is a kind of big, hairy, audacious goal. How can we not just connect um, elements of commerce together um, in order to sort of drive value in the marketplace, but how can we um, pull together intellectual leaders um, and people on the ground in order to sort of drive social change in a way that uh, um, is exciting and, uh, you know, uh, beneficial to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's hunger for that, you know, across the world. And also, like you said, here at Pi. Tom, let's pretend that money doesn't exist. You're in a great spot, but you have to work and you are going to do a job for the rest of your life. What would that job be? What, what would that look like? And how would you spend your time working at that point? Wow. Money's no object. Money's no object. I can work from Mars is what you're saying. Correct. If you'd All like right. to. Uh, what I would do 
is live in a small village in the mountains of Cameroon. And uh, I would work to set up an outsourcing company in uh, West Africa to serve the large consulting firms. Mm -hmm. um, and I would write novels on the side. That's what I would do. Okay. So the, the work would be outsourced. You'd help oversee the company. And then once everybody's up and working and the and those local uh, villages are making great money, you'd also be a novelist on the side, huh? There you go. That's right. That sounds like fun to me. Very unique. Yeah. yeah. Drink what kind of, wine, what kind of novels? What's that? What kind of novels would you write? You know, good question. Like, I think when you write a book, you have to, you have to feel that story burning inside of you. Like I've written three books and I, it's a, it's a lot of typing. Let's just be clear about that. Like your fingers are moving across the, the keys a lot. And so, uh, and it takes time and you really need to have a story that speaks to you. I just wrote a novel about a king that existed, uh, that, that led uh, this small tribal area that I used to live in, in, in the Peace Corps, um, how he uh, had their uh, totem religious objects stolen. This is a real story. And uh, it uh, ended up in the Hood Museum in, uh, in Dartmouth College. And uh, he didn't have any money and already political connections. This was in 1967 when uh, West Africa was sort of newly liberated from its colonial masters. And it was a confusing time. And he had to figure out a way to get this religious totem back. And he did through sort of guile and intelligence and cleverness. And uh, I love that story. All the people are dead. So I had to sort of write it as a novel. But um, and, and it hasn't been published, but it, it, uh, to me, that's a fun story to tell. It's a story of intrigue and it's a story that sort of nests in a wider, uh, the wider world and the, the wider question of whether or not art should be repatriated to the people that made it. Um, so you might've read this about some of the large European museums. They're asking this question, should we, we've got this great bust from Nigeria that the Yoruba people made. Should we send it to their museum or should we hold on to it? Because during the colonial period, there was this sort of expropriation of, of art from around the world. Whose art is it? Um, and I, anyway, I find that an interesting 21st century moral question that we're working through. And novels are a good way to think about that. Uh, and very approachable. And I hope you get the opportunity to write all of these novels. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, this is so great, Tom. So great to hear a little bit more about your your history here at Pi, your your vision for Pi moving forward. Um, and and we're, we're grateful to have you as our leader. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. Aubrey, TJ, thanks so much for having me. Good luck with this podcast. <laughs> thanks, thanks Tom. Tom. Yeah, appreciate you as always. Thank you for listening to the podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. If you enjoyed the content in this month's discussion, please visit our blog at profitableideas.com or check out our books Never Say Sell and How Clients Buy. Profitable Ideas Exchange, connecting powerful minds and making the world smarter and smaller.